Good morning, good evening, good night, wherever, however, and whenever you're listening. Welcome to another episode of The Melanin Report. I'm your host, Marquise Lupton, and we have another great one for you today. It's day one of our podcast series, so you know what that means. We have our cousin of the show, Dr. Kamika Campbell, coming on with us to discuss this news and dive deep into what can and will affect you this week. Dr. K, how you doing today? I'm doing all right. Oh, good, Happy good. Happy to be here as always. Yes, yes, and glad to have you. Well, so, thank you. Yes, we are um, going to jump right into it. Our first story takes us right to, um, um, I was about to say the older generation, but, but it, 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 it kind of spans. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah, it, it does. So, um, why are older adults drinking, consuming drugs at a higher rate? So, over the years, studies have shown an overwhelming increase in alcohol and substance abuse use among middle-aged and older Americans. But fewer younger adults are choosing alcohol and more likely to partake in cannabis use. But why? A new study from the University of Michigan's Monitoring the Future panel illustrates just how much binge drinking they do. Researchers found that nearly 30 percent of participants of adults between 35 and 50 reported binge drinking reaching higher levels than ever before. The data signifies just how consistent the rise in rates has been since 2012. According to the 2021 National Survey on Drug Use and Health, about 60 million or 21.5 percent of people in the United States ages 12 and older reported binge drinking. I just want to stop it right there because <laughs> it said ages yes. 12 or older. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm that reading, reading that I, I was like, wait, wait. Because when I was that age, I wouldn't even look at the liquor cabinet. That part. I, I, I mean, but but it is becoming a a new or it is a it is a uh, continued phenomenon. Mm-hmm. And, and then finally, uh, it's even on the rise among adults 65 and older. Yeah. More than 11.4 percent of adults ages 65 and older reported binge drinking in the past month. The National Institute of Alcohol Abuse and Alcoholism defines binge drinking as a pattern of drinking alcohol that brings blood alcohol concentration to about 0.08% or 0.08 grams of alcohol per deciliter Mm -hmm. or more. In other words, this simply occurs when a person has five or more drinks within a two-hour window. Yep. Well, then... If that's what the case is, and if that's what binge drinking is, then I'm a binge drinker. Guilty. Put me right. Put me right in there. So, uh, reading these statistics, uh, what are your thoughts on this? So, first of all, I just want to say overall, I feel like since the pandemic, folks have really gotten more into drug and alcohol use overall. Yeah, yeah. Um, And I I always give this very kind of interesting example, but I always say people just don't want a raw dog life right now. (laughs) Um, So that's what it is. It's very stressful, right? So people are like, "Uh uh-uh, I'm not trying to, my nerves are frayed, my my mind is bad, and I don't feel like doing this, you know? So I think that's part of it. And uh, the other part, too, is, with the legalization of marijuana, we are up to 23 states in the nation mm. that have legalized marijuana. And we've also, I think to a certain extent, destigmatized marijuana in this generation. Yeah. And to me, I think it's interesting because it's growing, um, binge drinking is growing in the older generation that also just happens to be the generation 
in which weed was extremely stigmatized, even though they had Woodstock, even though they yeah. had all these different things. Um, marijuana use, like regular marijuana use, was still very stigmatized, even though the Age of Enlightenment and psychedelics, and that was very popular in the 70s, right? It still was pretty stigmatized, particularly yeah. marijuana and particularly how we treated people who did dope, right? We called it, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, this is your brain. This is your brain on drugs. This is, this is your brain on drugs was completely just, <laughs> I mean, looking back, it was that scare tactic kind of thing. But yeah. is that the way to, the best way to teach folks about drug use? I, I No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not at no. all. No, it didn't work. <laughs> no, no. And then then they tried, you know, the um, um around ha- Halloween time, you know, the oh boogeyman and the edibles. It's just like, yeah, that's that's first of all, no adults <laughs> are taking their hard earned edibles hey, and putting it into your candy. I promise you. Yeah. And, and, and then distribute to, to kids. Listen, like, to no. kids. <laughs> Marijuana and, and hallucinogen use reported uh, at a um, at a high level. So yeah. uh, the 2022 survey results uncovered that more people were using marijuana daily than ever before, nearly doubling from 2012. And around 44 percent of adults under the age of 30 are willing participants, which is a spike from 28 percent just 10 years ago. And on the other hand, in 2022, 28 percent of adults ages 35 to 50 used marijuana in 2022, an increase of 17 percent from five years ago. Mm-hmm. And and I'll use uh, the the pandemic as a example. Um, uh, there there are people um, that that I grew up with that never have participated in that and over the pandemic uh, found themselves getting their card, uh, whether it was because of the pandemic or, or any kind of other ailment they have. And they started to to participate. Uh, and, and then I started to notice how open they were with their participation mm-hmm. um, and mm-hmm. and letting everybody know. And it's just like, Oh, wow, Gene, I did not expect that from you. Didn't, didn't see you there, Gene. <laughs> didn't see that for you there, Gene. No, no, not at all. Um, uh, so uh, finally, in, in October 2022, um, the Pew Research Center survey found that 88% of American adults said either that marijuana should be legal for medical and recreational use and 59% uh, said or that it should be legal for medical use only. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like you said, the whole attitude of around it um I, I, has shifted I, I can't even say is shifting it it has shifted our next story here uh a retired black educator of 31 years introduces stem learning cards for preschool students let me just tell you that we are here for this period so in a dynamic move aimed at shaping the future of early education retired educator and prominent educational consultant Ariella Davis introduced a unique STEM learning card set specifically designed for preschool students. Davis, a dedicated veteran of the education field with over 31 impressive years of experience, now turns her focus to the innovative development of STEM education. She strongly believes in the importance of STEM. STEM is science, technology, and engineering, and math and the need for its early introduction in classrooms to shape well-rounded, future-ready individuals. The STEM learning cards, a beautifully illustrated 16-card deck, break down the comprehensive areas into easily digestible segments. 
These cards make it accessible for teachers to introduce the fundamental concepts to their students in a fun, engaging, and interactive way. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. Give them the money. Get, <laughs> get, Throw the money at them. Right, right. Because uh, uh, this this right here, I look at this as, as a way to prepare our kids mm-hmm. um, to get into those high-paying jobs in the tech field. Absolutely. And and I'm, I'm looking at the exposure as well. You know, we... We pretty much become what we're exposed to. Absolutely. So having this as a early introduction exposure to this group, that's going to open up their minds from when they're 8, 9, 11, 13, 14 years old. Mm -hmm. And and now I'm I'm, I'm looking at the young boys for this. They they can think more than just oh well I'm going to go to the NFL oh well I'm going to go to the NBA oh well I'm going to go to the MLB this opens them up to to more absolutely and the other thing about there there are two sides of this coin right why it's important that educators doing this and coming from educator perspective Mm. is because along with a gap in teaching young kids about STEM fields and STEM education early is also the preparation of STEM educators. Yeah. So having um, something that STEM, people who are now coming into the STEM field, um, under President Obama in 2011, there was an initiative to recruit 100,000 STEM teachers in the United States, and they surpassed their goal in 2022, and they recruited 108,000 STEM educators. Wow. However... The pandemic, as we know, also exacerbated the the uh, teacher shortage. So a lot of those teachers that would have been the the connector for STEM, the the veteran teachers, they are out of the workforce. So a lot of teachers who came in to teach STEM, they are unprepared. So mm. having a having an a, a, a teaching aid like this, right? It's for the students, but it's also for the teachers to help them understand how to introduce STEM and not to even mention the gaps between black and brown students and white students with STEM education. It's a huge gap. And for the on the student side, Early STEM education does things like give them better um, critical thinking skills and analysis skills and helps them to learn certain types of skills much earlier, right, than if you don't have STEM education. And so I remember (laughs) such a a self-effacing story, but I remember when I was in second grade, I was tested for gifted like three times and all of the different things that they test you with have mm-hmm. to do with some kind of technology, some kind of at the yeah. time technological advancement or an analytical thinking, critical look. Th- I failed every one. And I was always scared of math and science until I became an adult. Oh, wow. And yes. And so and then funnily enough, I became a <laughs> a, um, a a trainer on in for an, an electronic medical record system as an adult. And it was because I had to get over that fear Mm -hmm. and start to understand what the opportunities were in technology field. I was the T in STEM um, in order to make a life and do the things and also have some enjoyment because it's also a really fun field. But you don't even get to know it's fun. You don't even get to know that it could be enjoyable. Right. Because learning it from an early age for a lot of us, especially young black girls. I don't know if you guys have heard of Black Girls Code. Shout out to Black Girls Code. Oh, yeah. Shout out yeah. to them. Mm-hmm. Shout out to them. My daughter's in that. Yes. Because the, we, we didn't even have programs like that when we were younger. Right. Right. To make sure that we were we even had an introduction. So and that really does affect you can. I think you can make it up, but it does affect how early you learn certain skills. Yep. And, and it can 
in a sense, put you behind, right? Um, as we know that happens. So shout out to this veteran educator of 31 plus years for not just, I think it's important for the students, but also for educators who need a way to introduce these concepts to their students. Right, right. And and these cards, it's a, it's a beautiful supplemental way Absolutely. Um, um, to, to build in that introduction. Um, so before we head on to our next story, um, a 2016 study, study that followed over 7,000 children from kindergarten through eighth grade found that the earlier children learned about the world, the more successful they were at science. And on the other hand, mm-hmm. students with minimal Early general knowledge struggled with science subjects Mm -hmm. by the third grade and were still struggling by the eighth grade. And then a 2014 study, researchers found that preschool mathematics ability predicts mathematics achievement Mm -hmm. through age 15. Mm -hmm. So even after accounting for early reading, cognitive skills and family and child characteristics, perhaps more significantly growth in mathematical ability between children that are 54 months old and first grade was found to be an even stronger predictor of adolescence mathematics achievement. So together, these results highlight the importance of pre-K mathematics and early math learning. So it should be no surprise to you that I was terrible at math until high school. I was horrible. <laughs> and for just those reasons, I was I was introduced to reading really early, excelled mm-hmm. at reading, did amazing at it. You should see my SAT scores, terrible. Math was like a 580 mm-hmm. and um, reading and reading comprehension and that other side of it, verbal, was like a 700. Oh, wow. So... Like this. <laughs> right. So, and that was through high school. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yes, I think I personally understand, anecdotally understand personally that it's important, but also I was a teacher. And I see how important uh, STEM, early STEM education is, particularly for critical thinking skills and yeah. for analytical. Yeah. For sure. So our our next story, we are moving right along here, cooking with gas, hey. like I like to say. <laughs> our our third story takes us takes us to a recent study that shows almost half of athletes diagnosed with CTE died before the age of thirty. Mm. Um, a new study shows that forty percent of youth, high school, and college athletes diagnosed with chronic traumatic. Uh, this this is a word that's going to um get me here. Uh oh. Um, I'll just say um diagnosed with CTE. Yes, 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 yes. yes. <laughs> Died before the uh. age of thirty. <laughs> the study was conducted by the Boston University CTE Center, which examined 152 brains that were donated, 62 of which were diagnosed with the condition. The donors died between 2008 and 2022, and their ages at that time of death range from 13 to 29. And according to the university, the study is the largest case of athletes who died young. This study was published in the JAMA Neurology. So so the fact that over 40% of young contact and collision sport athletes in, in the Unite Brain Bank have CTE is remarkable. And this is coming from Dr. Anne McKee. And according to the Mayo Clinic, CTE is a brain disorder in which repeated blows to the head cause the death of nerve cells in the brain. The disorder currently can only be diagnosed in death. That's right. 
unfortunately. Um, so the most common cause of death among athletes studied was suicide, although research showed no relationship between the cause of death and the presence of the condition. Additionally, there wasn't a significant difference in symptoms between those diagnosed with the disorder and those who weren't. Symptoms such as depression and apathy were reported in nearly 70% of the athletes mm. in the study, despite 59% of the brain studied not having CTE. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is something that, that I see with, um, with my friends that finish playing football. Like, there really is a deep depression oh yeah that that they go through and and now that the studies are beginning to to roll out i would love to see the correlation on um, absolutely with with C- cte because if you let them talk about it it's it it's more so like oh man i miss the screaming of the crowd mm-hmm. i miss the band i miss the speeches you know i miss the contact so yeah, yeah. that's why a lot of them go back into coaching yes. so that they they can get that um so mm-hmm. reading this really made me think like i wonder if if there's some kind of uh, cte correlation yeah. what are your thoughts with this well i well let's get back to what it is because i think some of our our listeners might want to know a little more in depth just what it is first, Absolutely. right so chronic traumatic encephalopathy is a neurodegenerative brain condition and it is usually associated with contact sports boxing football anything where you're getting repeated blows to the head ice hockey etc and then the other part of it is caused by um a an accumulation of a protein called tau in the brain, and it causes your brain to atrophy, or it causes mm. your brain to break down, basically. And so if you think of muscle atrophy, your brain is, a, is one of your biggest organs Muscles, in your body, yeah. right? So um, it is going to do, that, do something similar um, to that. So understanding that, repeated blows to the head, um, accumulation of this protein on the brain, causing brain atrophy, it's not hard to see some of the symptoms, right, of, of, of what we didn't know before. My brothers played football in mm. two D1 schools, a D1 and a D2. And um, it was very scary when we first started hearing about it Yeah, because when they first started football in the early 80s, in the mid-80s, we didn't, we didn't know nothing about this. Nothing. Right? So the symptoms include memory loss, confusion, impaired judgment, impulse control problems, anger, aggression, depression, anxiety, suicidality, Parkin, um, Parkinsonism, and eventually progressive dementia, mm-hmm. right? If you live long enough, who do we know in modern day that we know intimately as a person who we can now probably assume died from CTE mm-hmm. as a boxer? Fly like a butterfly, sing, uh, like, sing a bee, like a bee. Right? Oh, Muhammad Ali. Uh-huh. So yeah. he died. He, he uh, ended um, with severe dementia mm-hmm. and um, other symptoms that are very much like this. So we now as a as a society know, uh, but it's really scary. I think about my bro- my brothers are twins. They played for Louisville and they also played for Florida Atlantic. Mm-hmm. And th- we they had, had to get out for another reason because they had issues with their arms. But I think it was a blessing. Yeah. Because if they would have stayed in longer, they could have really, really uh, the accumulation of the blows, the number of blows, the severity of the blows could have really put them in a a much more difficult position now that they're going to turn 40 next year. Yeah. And and I'm I'm thinking about, you know, um, um, uh, shout out to my mom for one, because she never let me play football. 
mainly because she's like, oh, your attention span and, and somebody's <laughs> going to knock you out. Right. Um, uh, but but I would always attend um, my friend's football practices because I wanted to play football. Um, and, and just thinking back, like this is even, you know, nine, ten mm-hmm. years old, like – them kids were hitting hard. Hard. You know, like like they really they, hard. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And 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 they they would have drills where like, oh, you're not smacking him enough. Yes. I'm not hearing the crack of the helmet. And it's like trying to crack a helmet is crazy. Yes. That's pretty crazy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and to think that you know, somebody could have went through this from the age oh, yeah. of eight. Until and let's say that they don't even make it to the NFL. Yeah. Not even going to NFL, yeah. You know they they stop at what age twenty one. Mm-hmm. You know, like that's that's years. And they always blame young kids who play sports for being aggressive. Okay, if you're getting hitting hit in the head a lot, yeah, <laughs> maybe their aggression is due to CTE. If you're getting, if you are. Um, amazingly depressed yeah. and you going in and out of mood swings, that could be due to CTE, but because it's not diagnosed till death, you don't know. There was a um, study that came out earlier this year as well uh, that said that in autopsy, over close to 99% of former NFL players show signs of brain disease, CTE. Mm. 90, that's just the NFL. We're right. not talking all the other sports. We're not talking college ball. Right. We're not talking... Any of the my brothers played Pee Wee. Remember Pee Wee, mm-hmm. uh, honey, Pee Wee football all the way through, <laughs> right? Like yeah. you're, you're getting hit in the head and you're tackling from the age of three, four, five. Yeah, this is this has got major implications for what we do as a society with this sport. This sport. So we're going to uh, move on to our next topic. Uh, our next news story. Vice President Kamala Harris announces $125 million support to help black businesses. Uh, Vice President Kamala Harris is making it her mission to even the playing field for black entrepreneurs who historically suffer from underfunding and face difficulty assessing capital. Mm-hmm. Harris announced the Capital Readiness Program and the 43 winning organizations, a mix of nonprofit and community-based organizations, private sector entities, and institutions of higher education located across the country who will act as incubators for BIPOC-owned businesses. And she says, President Biden and, and I are firmly and we firmly believe that for America's economy to be strong, America's small business must be strong. I am proud to announce that we will invest an additional $125 million in small, in, in small businesses across our country through a national network of small business incubators and accelerators. She continues to say that President Biden and, and I are fighting to ensure that every entrepreneur in America, no matter who they are or where they live can access the capital to start or grow a business, create jobs, and thrive. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm I'm going to um, start off by say, uh, come on through, VP. <laughs> come on through. I mean, <laughs> you know, um, uh, this 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 infusion um, of of money is is a good thing, uh, obviously, mm-hmm. uh, be, because it looked like at the beginning. The Biden administration might have been against it when they uh, made that rule about Cash App, and it's n- it, it now Correct. has to be taxable. And it's like, oh come boo. on, <laughs> come on, you ain't Such about a big to boo on that one. You're not about to tax my hustle. That part. Come on, player. So yeah, so like here's the thing. 
too little for me, a lot too late, mm. um, particularly considering that, one, they ran on they were going to help black people. Yeah. And I feel like two things. One, they got to do something. So I'm glad they're doing something. Yeah. However, eight out of 10 black businesses fail within the first 18 months. Right. Yeah. And I've been going to and I've been uh, going to conferences and uh, fellowshipping with people who are very. um, I've been uh, going to conferences and fellowshipping with people who are extremely connected to the startup space. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that they know, they knew this money, they they were forecasting that this money was going to come. Oh, wow. Right. And so they knew something was going to be happening. Mm -hmm. However, they were very concerned that it wouldn't be enough. And so the 125 million across these 43 organizations in the country is concerning because of the fact that it's been one hard for black and brown new businesses to access capital at the same rate as their peers to get their businesses started. And that's one of the major reasons that it fails early. Mm -hmm. And second, they don't have the same access to resources, not just money. Right. Um, but resources for training and support that their white white and dominant culture peers have. Right. And so this 125 million, I still think pales into in comparison mm. to the one to the problem. Yeah. Right. If if 80 percent of 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 black businesses in particular fail in the first 18 months, I feel like it's throwing a penny at a oh. in a in a pond of problems. Yeah. And then two. Um, it it's out of pace with what their peers are 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 have access to. Mm-hmm. So those are the two things that I think it's a good start. I won't even say it's a it's a mid it's mid as the, kid, <laughs> as the kids say it's mid you know. But I think I think that at least we got a splashy title. And I mm-hmm. listen, I'm always on the politics side. So you do this real close <laughs> to the election, like it's yeah. coming up, big announcement. Yeah. And when is it going to be actually implemented? Like mm-hmm. there's a lot of questions for me. And knowing on the other side how difficult it is to get federal dollars to the local level. So let's talk about that. So yes, they, they recognize these 43. I don't even see one on this side of the state. The one I saw was uh, that got the money was in Pittsburgh. Mm. So what what happens to large states like Pennsylvania, right? Um, New York, Texas, where so many people are, California. Yeah. Um, so that's my concern. I think that it it will not help enough black businesses. But you know, congratulations on the headline. <laughs> and that's what it is. It 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 definitely is. It definitely is a sexy headline. Very sexy. <laughs> Very sexy. Uh, so we're we're going to go to our last story of the day. This takes us right here, right here mm. to to the Keystone State. Mm-mm. Uh, so, a Ambridge man uh, tried to take a rifle yeah. into a predominantly black church. Big Jeffrey Harris, 38 years old, had handwritten notes about an active shooting in his home, which appeared, which he appeared ready for a standoff. This comes from the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. And it says, Jeffrey Harris, 38, is charged with aggravated assault, Mm-mm-mm. attempted burglary, and other offenses in connection with his threatening and bizarre behavior. Wow. 
Ambridge police were initially sent to Dust Avenue near 4th Street about 9 a.m. for a report of a man walking around with a long gun. A woman at the scene told officers the man, later identified as Mr. Harris, pointed a gun at her and then at another woman on the street, according to the complaint. She said he also tried to get into the Greater Dominion Church on Melrose Avenue, sparking concerns among Ambridge officers that Mr. Harris might have been attempting to enter the church with a long gun to commit a hate crime. Investigators wrote, noting that the church's pastor and many congregants are African-American. Officers from multiple departments began to search the area for Mr. Harris, and he was eventually spotted by a Beaver County Regional Police Department um, officer wow. in the doorway of a Merchant Street business. Mm-mm. He allegedly pointed his weapon at the officer before backup arrived and he was ordered out of the doorway. Mr. Harris allegedly had with him a half dollar size piece of crystal meth and a 25 round box of shotgun shells. Officers said he made bizarre comments while en route to the police station, including referencing a deceased brother. Jeez. Police also noted the shotgun seemed to have been fired recently. So, so he was practicing. That's he, what I yeah, heard. Yeah. Yeah. And and it's 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 very concerning be, because um, when when we hear about one mass shooting. It's like, man, over the next couple of weeks, you know what's going to happen, right? You know mm-hmm. that there's going to be these copycats, absolutely. You know, um, and, and and then now, now you add in the race factor of it. You know, I look at the Dylan Roos of the world who kind of made this a thing in this day and age. Now, this yeah. is nothing but 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 taking a a page out of the uh, KKK playbook with with uh, attacking black churches. Yes. Um, but out of the Dylan Roof handbook, right, mm-hmm. right, I, and, and this, this is, this is just that. It's a form of intimidation. Absolutely, um, it's weak because you know that those folks that are in that institution that are in that building are not armed. So, absolutely, are we at a point now where if you attend a black church, should you go armed because you mm-hmm. know that this is a possibility, just like with schools. You have to be in a space now, unfortunately, that a school shooting may happen. It's yes. no longer a anomaly. It may happen, just like with being black in a supermarket. You know what? You may get shot in here by somebody that doesn't like you because of your skin color. Yep. Like, these are these are, are, these are real things, and, and this is happening Right here in Pennsylvania. Absolutely. Um, So there have been almost 500 mass shootings Mm. this year alone. 470. Additionally, there's been over 600 per year for the last three years. Right? (sighs) Before that. Before that. So, one, guns are the way that America has chosen to solve whatever problems they think they have, especially taking out on the public. It's, It's a bad thing. And mass shooting is defined by four more people hurt or killed, right? Mm. Secondly, um, this other piece that's coming in, and I'm, I'm saying those numbers to say, it is not surprising that black people in particular would be targeted with guns. Hispanic people in Uvalde would be targeted with guns yeah. because that is the way that we have done it. Not we, meaning me personally, but as a collective mm-hmm. in this country, this is how people are solving 
what whatever problems they think exist, yeah. whether it's race-based or family. A lot of this includes, you know, intimate partner violence, et cetera. Thirdly, the idea that you can somehow terrorize black people with guns and accomplish what has never qu- quite made sense to me. Right. Right? Because we have made guns and killing such a weight of life. We won't uh, tighten up gun laws like in Florida. We won't do it on a national level, but we cry every time a child is, is killed. Like yeah. We cry every time black and brown folks get hurt. I will never forget President Obama singing Amazing Grace after what happened, um, after Dylan Roof killed those innocent people. Yeah. Um, but what, but what, won't, what doesn't surprise me I should say what what does surprise me, though, is not just the inaction, but how normalized it's become. And the the question that we, should we be taking guns into churches? Should we be taking guns into schools? Because, right, this is the same questions that we did after Sandy Hook. Should yeah. we arm the teachers? Same questions after Uvalde. Should we arm the teachers? So the answer seems to be more guns and not less guns, yeah. no matter how you slice it. People want more guns. And when you look at the amount of guns in the United States compared to any other country in the world on the entire planet. I was about to bring that up. Go on ahead. We outpace the, the next country by almost 2.5 times. Yeah. And it is bananas how many guns we have in this country. It's not, not only is it not solving anything, we're making guns a just passe way of life here. Right. Killing each other over things like, I don't like you because your skin color, or I don't want you to leave me for another person, or I just want to go shoot up a school because I want infamy. Mm-hmm. That's something that's happening. Yeah. Um, we've made that a way of life here, and our politicians, these special interest groups, do not care, and they are not willing to do anything about it, no matter how high the percentage, the 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 national feeling is about it they do not care and and uh there's this um graph right here uh top 10 civilian gun owning countries and this is the estimated number of firearms per 100 residents Mm -hmm. Uh, so the united states is at 120.5 the next one is Really in half at fifty two point eight, and that is Yemen. Yes, and um, more recent data uh, out of the U.S. suggests that gun ownership grew significantly over the last few years. A study published by the Annals of Internal Medicine in February found that seven point five million U.S. adults became new gun owners between January twenty nineteen and April twenty twenty one. This in turn exposed 11 million people to firearms in their homes, including 5 million children. About half of new gun owners in that time period were women, while 40 percent were either black or Hispanic. My goodness. And the other crazy statistic is internationally, 80 percent of all of our U.S. homicides are due to gun-related killings. Wow. The next closest country is Canada, Mm-hmm. with 40% of all their homicides due to gun-related killings. The next closest is Australia with 11%. Wow. 11%. So after Canada and the U.S., and the U.S. is already half of ours, mm-hmm. the next closest is Australia at 11%. Wow. That's 
Wow, it's and, unmanageable. Yeah, and and I had um, um I had a well not had because he's still my friend. I have a friend uh, from from Chad uh, that that talked about you know well why do Americans shoot their kids in schools? Oh my gosh! And it's just like bruh, I that is something that I do not know. And, and he, he he was like that's that's kind of a American thing. Yeah, yes, you know, it is. Shoot, shooting your own kids in 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 schools. It's literally an American pastime, and it sucks. Yeah, yeah, it it does. So, um, so to wrap up this story, uh, Harris, uh, is is being held at at nine hundred and seventy thousand dollars bail. It's not enough. It's not. It's not. Um, his his bail really should have been two million at yeah, least. At yeah. least. Uh, so we're going to put a pin in it right there. I okay, want to okay. thank you all for joining us for part one of the week for our news discussion. Don't forget to check out our next show on Wednesday. We have with us uh, Pastor Joshua and talking about uh, the history of the black uh, the black church. And and then we're going to be uh, getting into it with he doesn't like when I call him this, but hey, I'm calling him this anyway. Bishop Jamar Johnson, yeah, <laughs> a fave, a big fave, and my mom, uh, where we talk about the history of the black church. This is the Melanin Report. We'll see you on the other side. Peace.